everybody get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a chef for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but foodie married beast anyway. And together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We have a spectacular show today, but before we get started, I know what's going on in the Ukraine is on everybody's mind. It's on our mind. Mm -hmm. I haven't turned CNN off in four weeks. Uh, And just want to remind everybody that uh, any kind of generosity that you can show to uh, not just the the three and a half million people that have had to leave the country, Mm -hmm. but to provide whatever aid you can in the country um, through the Red Cross or whatever, you can always go to CNN slash impact. Um, there's a whole menu of, of charities and nonprofits that can help. World Central Kitchen, a bunch of them. We also have, you'll hear today, there are a lot of local uh, uh, benefits to, to raise money for them. And uh, just, we got to help these people. Okay. All right. So we do have a great show. We're going to, as usual, Mitch Berliner from Central Farm Markets is with us to tell us about what's going on there with particular emphasis on strawberries. Uh, the drink segment is going to be fun. Named by Food and Wine magazines as one of America's ten best new chefs is Kevin Tien. He's one of the nicest and most self-effacing guys I ever met in my life. He presides over the modern Vietnamese cuisine that served um, uh, at Moon Rabbit, which is on the wharf. And Kevin's in here with his bartender Gemma Hardy, and they've got a superlative cocktail list. And they're going to join us for drink, uh, drinks and chit chat this morning. And you're going to find out what a moon rabbit is. I don't know. Do they shoot a rabbit to the moon? I don't know. Then we can ask um, our guest tomorrow. <laughs> right. Um, husband and wife duo Gabrielle and Tyler Steelman are co-owners of Empanadas de Mendoza. They're part of that new urban space at the Tyson's Galleria, the reworked third floor. And oh, their empanadas look beautiful. They smell great. I'm going to stuff a couple in my pocket. But they're going to join us in a few minutes, and we're going to hear about that. Uh, James Beard, award-winning Washington Post columnist Tamar Haspel had it, she, she's got a, a new book out, but it's this book is really it's a memoir and it's a kind of about an epiphany. It's called "To Boldly Grow: Finding Joy, Adventure, and Dinner in Your Own Backyard." And she she has sort of rolled back her humanity to a time of foraging and and really collecting food from scratch and then cooking it from scratch. And it's an she's written an amazing book. We're going to mm-hmm. hear all about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and old friend of the show, Amy Troutmiller, is with us. She's CEO of Common Fuel Consulting. They're business development consultants, et cetera. But she's here to talk about a claim that there are some really good boxed wines. Nikki says there's some really good boxed wines. I'm skeptical. I don't know. But I we're going to see. Uh, I am. We're, I we're mean, gonna if you find think out. about the process, it actually makes sense. No, Amy I don't want to think. I, okay. Amy will get into Thinking it. is we'll not talk, my we'll thing. Talk about it. I don't All right. think. Uh, but let's talk to Mitch first. Mitch, are you there from Central hey, Farm Mitch, Markets? Hey, Mitch. What's going on yes, at Central Farm Markets? Well, thank you. Uh, I, first and most importantly, way more important than any mundane things we're doing here, like you pointed out. Uh, we had a fundraiser for World Central Kitchen the last couple of weeks, the farm market, um, matched dollar for dollar. Mm-hmm. And we raised $13,000, which I hand-delivered a stack of checks due to the generosity of our patrons to the headquarters of World Central Kitchen. It's amazing. And we're going to continue to do things. So mm-hmm. that's what's going on in that department. So wait, is then it an ongoing, going, Mitch, it's an ongoing fundraiser? Well, what's going on is we inspired some other vendors. So we okay. have different vendors taking a percent of their 
uh, sales and donating it to World Central Kitchen. So it's sort of uh, caught on and others are doing it. So Excellent. that's pretty exciting. So it is. if you come down today, you'll see uh, that's what's going on. Okay. All right. And, and then we also have uh, some good news on the strawberry department. I've mm-hmm. spoken to a couple of the farmers that are further south, and they have the first strawberries. And we should have strawberries mid or a latter part of April, weather depending. Okay. That's right. exciting. We're ready for strawberries. David loves strawberries. And right. then you yeah, wanted to talk cool. about some specialty vendors. Let's hit it. Yeah. So real fast, uh, of course, produce, meat, poultry, fish. We have all of that. Mm-hmm. But we also have just a fantastic array of specialty vendors, which really rounds out the market. We have specialty pasta people. We have vegan people. We have every kind of baker, from bagels to gluten-free to French to Belgium to American bakers. We have real specialty fishmongers, mm-hmm. everything from uni. We have an oyster farmer that shucks oysters. Of course, right. we have meat crafters. So, I want, I, and we have empanadas. All right. Yep. I just, uh, I'm specially interested in the bagels. We had a whole conversation with David Hagedorn last night about bagels. And so, well, that's because of Kathy Barrow's new That's book. right. That's right. So, well, listen, Mitch, tell everybody, please, where they can find you online. Yes. You can find us at our two markets open year round. One on the parking lot of the George Marshall High School near Tyson's Corner. That's mm-hmm. open year-round. And then we have downtown Bethesda on the Bethesda Elementary School. Open year-round. Come on down every Sunday. All the information can be found on Central Farm Market, plural, dot com. Great, Come Mitch. Visit. Thank you. You got it. And if you haven't been to Central Farm Markets... Their markets are so amazing. It is like a wonderful way to spend your morning. You can bring your dogs, you can bring your family, and the vendors are really incredible. And obviously, it's so important, given that we're all waking up and our masks are off, that uh, to support your local farmers. Okay. We're not bringing our dog. (laughs) No, we're not bringing our dog. You want everything. (laughs) Her tail could knock it all over. (laughs) All right. right. Let's get into cocktails. So, Moon Rabbit. Uh, Kevin Tien is with us, as I said, and so is Gemma Hardy. Uh, guys, Kevin, why don't you just give a top line on Moon Rabbit? Yeah, please. Yeah, uh, we're doing contemporary Vietnamese food. Mm-hmm. Uh, what that means is if you come, uh, don't expect any like pho or like rice plates or anything that you think you know about Vietnamese food. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do take all like the traditional flavors and then I combine it with all kinds of new plating and put in all kinds of ideas and techniques that I've learned here in D.C. from so many amazing chefs. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's a truly different like Vietnamese food experience. Well, how so? Like, explain that for people who are like, I mean, first of all, the wharf is an incredible property. And on a gorgeous day, you definitely want to be sitting on your patio. So what is it about? He never gets to sit on the patio. I I get to sit on the patio. Actually, the the best seat on the (laughs) patio, the best to do is to be there like on Sunday and watch like that's like the red carpet watching people going back and forth. It is amazing. So for people who haven't had the opportunity to see what you're doing at Moon Rabbit, give us a little give us a little taste. You know, uh, for example, my favorite dish right now is our crawfish and noodles. Mm-hmm. And it's a take on a like a Viet Cajun crawfish boil. Mm. So not only is it uh, normally a regular crawfish boil, a traditional seafood boil, mm-hmm. but when we do it in like Viet Cajun style, we throw a lot of butter and garlic on the outside. So it's like super unctuous and good for the soul, not for the heart. Right. So we take all those flavors <laughs> and we put in... In our pasta, we use like a tamomi-style ramen noodle. Mm. Uh, instead of like buying miso, we make our own miso out of garlic. So we get a lot of like 
20 to 30 pounds of garlic. We roast it and we ferment it to make mm. our own miso out of it. Mm. And then we take crab fat and crawfish and we fold it into a pasta. So that sounds great. And, that, and when people yummy. expire from eating it, you can just step over their bodies, grab their right. crawfish, and Stay eat next. for free, right? Yeah, absolutely. Sounds like a plan, plan in place. Okay, let's bring Gemma in. We're gonna, uh, Kevin, we are going to bring you back because we want to talk about the huge Ukraine fundraiser you're doing, but we'll bring that back in a little bit. Hi, Gemma. How are you? Good. How are you Cheers. doing? Okay, great. What Thank you have? so much for joining us today. So you're the bartender there. Tell us a little bit about the bar program. So the bar program, we try to reflect what Kevin is, what Chef Kevin is doing in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Uh, try to honor like some of the roots. So we're using a little bit more of Asian ingredients with like commonly available spirits. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are still within a hotel property as well. So using the ingredients that we're given liquor-wise is important. Sure. Uh, but culinary-wise, we have a lot of really interesting, um, intricate things that we can make more interesting cocktails from. Well, so now you, the first drink you made us is not a cocktail. It is a non-alcoholic cocktail. Okay. Um, this Tell is me developed... again, what's the point of that? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's for, you know... It's very big right now. <laughs> it's a trend. I know. It's Low for ABV. people that are taking a sober week. Um, sober curious. Sober I hate that week. terminology more than anything. I see your in lips moving, world. but I don't understand what okay. you're saying. He doesn't Say really I, drink. He doesn't even drink. I, I don't even know why too. he's saying that. I get it too. Okay, so tell us what's in it. So this is going to be using yuzu, which is a mm, I can common like Southeast uh, Asian citrus. Mm. Um, it's a little bit more like punchy than like lemon or lime. We're going to be doing a ginger syrup and cranberry and then topping it off with soda water. Excellent. So this is like a great option for those that aren't drinking that like want to just enjoy still a carefully crafted beverage rather Mm -hmm. than just like a super sugary soda. I totally get it. Okay. I'm going to ask you to step away from the mic, grab that drink. All right. And now we're getting into empanadas. Step up to the plate. So Gabriella and Tyler Steelman are Gabriella got the assignment. She's like, yes, I'm in. Let's do it. Empanadas de Mendoza at the new urban space in Tyson's Galleria, which is cool. It's, it's that whole reworked third floor. Yep. Yeah, yeah they man. just started about a year ago. Uh, mm-hmm. Getting new vendors. They have um, uh, Andy's Pizza. They also have a great coffee shop called 20, 1220. Mm-hmm. And then we jumped in. We were supposed to jump in about two years ago, but then, you know, why even explain right <laughs> this then didn't you go, go. Yeah. two years yeah. let's just pretend yeah. right yeah. jump ahead and then uh, a couple months ago we decided to go in and it's been awesome like ever since well then. let's let's talk about your getting into the empanada business how did mm-hmm. that happen well about seven seven eight years ago um i i was working for a very stressful company i wasn't enjoying it and I thought that making empanadas for a farmer's market would give me, you know, joy. joy. Yeah. <laughs> like sharing my culture, who I am, uh, the things we do uh, back at home, like to have, you know, joy, community. Well, like talk about empanadas. that. Are you yes. from Argentina? Do I remember Yeah, right? Mendoza, yeah. Argentina. That's where mm-hmm. the name comes from. I figured. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm smart that way. So my mom, uh, everyone in the neighborhood, everybody said in the family, they all said that my mom always made the best empanadas ever. Mm-hmm. And I helped her ever since, you know, I was a little girl. So in essence, really, you made the best empanadas <laughs> ever. Exactly. Is that so where we're I'm going the one here? making the best empanadas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no, but... Um, in Argentina, empanadas are everywhere. Uh, like every party, every birthday party, mm-hmm. um, every occasion. But how do empanadas? I mean, empanadas are are, are an in- incredible treat, but 
they're not everywhere here in the United States. Right. How does it, is, are they regionally different? Like, are they really different in Argentina than they would be from another area in South America? Well, every country in Latin America has mm-hmm. a style of uh, right. empanadas. Even Spain, in Arab countries, you find mm-hmm. empanadas too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, we all make them, we all make them different. The stuff one that goes things, inside is... Right. I, I had an epiphany last night. And You've that, had a lot of epiphanies, <laughs> like I'm, in the last I am full couple of a, hours. I am full of a pith. Okay. I can tell you that. <laughs> Um, um, but, you know, if you think about, because we had a big pierogi dinner, you know, with our, our, our friend. Yeah. Pierogies, kreplach from, you know, Slavic countries, um, mm-hmm. uh, empanadas. Essentially, mankind has figured out how to take dough. Yeah. yeah. Well, and dumplings. Put right. and dumplings, dumplings. And then put good stuff inside and either boil it or, you know, fry, fry it. it. And it's right. all good, man. The smell of this. So let's so, talk. Well, what, what, wait. What's the range? Wait, we have to take a break. I don't Can want we take to. it now? We're going to take a break now. Okay. I know you don't want to. This is David <laughs> and Nikki Nellis. It's Foodie and the Beast. I think we're digging into some empanadas when we get back. All right. We're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis talking to uh, Gabby and Tyler Steelman. They own Empanadas de Mendoza at the new urban space in Tyson's Galleria. And these empanadas smell good. So and there before, are lots of variety. Yes. So before we get into the varieties and all the stuffing, mm-hmm. Tyler, how did you get involved in the business? You got married. Oh. <laughs> that's exactly it. I got I married. I know. Yeah. I mean, Poor guy like, got dragged into it like the rest of us. Why do you think David's sitting here? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's how that happened. Here. Right? I could be home sleeping. That's uh-huh. only <laughs> half true. Okay. Lo- long story short, Gabby and I met. She, mm-hmm. she had the farmer's market going mm-hmm. and really just kind of jumped in because she was getting so popular. Well, what were you doing? So, what was I doing? Nothing. <laughs> Just chilling, you know? <laughs> but so, now that you, let's talk about scale. Yeah. Because making, how many how many empanadas were you making for the farmer's market? I was selling about 300, three, from three to 350. Okay, and um, now how many, started. now how many are you making? Oh, I have no idea. I mean, now I t- now so, it's about 550, 600 a weekend okay. on Saturdays. At the market. At the, at the market. market. But now you have a brick and mortar. You're in a food hall. Yeah, we have a brick and mortar. We also have two food trucks. And two food trucks. Yeah. And wow. our commercial kitchen in, in Lorton. Okay, so I assume everything, everything that's is That's the production, prep. yeah. Yeah, so you're producing everything there. So exactly. now you've gone from like, right. your, you really yeah. took your... Um, your joy, yeah, and made it your profession. Yeah. You know what I mean? Now it's, I'm the it's, one stressed out a, all over again. It's, okay. it's a, it's a, it's and a very happy you can't story. Quit. So tell us about your stuffings and how you came up with some of them, because there's okay, some interesting so, ones here. Yeah, the traditional beef is the traditional Argentinian flavor. It has mm-hmm. um, ground beef, onion, uh, eggs, and olives. Mm. Uh, that's you're gonna find it everywhere in every city in Argentina. That's mm-hmm. the traditional uh, flavor. Mm-hmm. And then we have one called umita, which is sweet corn and it has a little bit of basil that's, that's uh, like my up my alley the sweet corn it's it sounds very delicious. tasty super creamy mm-hmm. uh and the basil just you know you can just smell it as soon as you open it mm-hmm. and like uh when you get it uh fried like right out of the fryer mm-hmm. it just cracks and the smell is just unbelievable amazing and then we have uh spinach ricotta spinach ricotta is like the it's my version of the traditional argentinian spinach uh, mm-hmm. empanada in argentina we make it with bechamel sauce but i make it with uh ricotta cheese mm-hmm. but the uh the well, it's probably more the same. it's probably more stable to do it with ricotta exactly right? it gives it more texture yeah so i like that mm-hmm. a lot better and then um we have a pineapple chicken which mm. uh, that one's very very popular. Smart. It's not yeah. Argentinian mm-hmm. at all. <laughs> okay, 
It's, but, a, it's uh, a Hawaiian empanada. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, Tyler yeah, loves sure. um, pineapple chicken, like the dish. Yeah. And I made it, I cooked it one day for him, like on a, you know, romantic date, whatever. Right. And then he's like, we should put this in an empanada. And we're Amazing. like, okay, let's try it. So we, you know, we So can uh, we talk started. quickly about your dough? What is it about your empanada dough? And are all empanadas, so do you fry them all and then warm them up later? Like, how do you do it? Is it all no. fresh? How do you make it happen? Our thing is uh, we have hand make them to order always uh-huh. like every single time except for like at the farmer's market right when you right. Go, you can uh, we're working on a system to be able to do that but unfortunately not yet right <laughs> but um so whenever a customer orders we have the fillings already made and we have the doughs already made so mm-hmm. we put them together and we either bake them or fry them but in the moment Okay. How do you get like that filigree out. look? If you've got to make them, is there a, is there a press or something that? Oh no, we no, make everything handmade. by hand. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. wow. That's been our motto ever since we started. That's a work of hand, art. Handmade to order, yeah. And nothing stays there, you know, like until the customer buys it or whatever. No, right. they are cooked to order. That's so amazing. Super That's fresh. Crazy. Right. And yeah. is there? A, do you prefer them baked or fried? Is there a way that I grew you... up baked. Right. And so uh, it's very popular in Argentina. You don't need that much fried stuff. Right. But over here was kind of the opposite. Everybody was expecting empanadas to be fried. I prefer and them baked, so... personally. Not for health reasons, just because I like the texture. It's more like uh, flaky and right. Yeah, Right. It's yeah. not as hard. Yeah. To, you know. Right. So in the food truck, we found it was more efficient for us to fry them because we're doing, you know, 100, 125, sometimes 150 orders mm-hmm. within a two-hour span of lunch or dinner. Right. So we really have to get those empanadas. You have to be fast. Exactly. Right. That makes sense. So, yeah. And then we, we offer them baked in our production and in Tyson's Corner location. So I oh. want to know, what were you doing before you got into this? Okay, so originally I'm from Missouri. Mm-hmm. So, oh, show me. Yes. So, so doing what? Doing what? Oh, I've been involved with churches. I've been involved with... You know, working for the city, different things. Really okay. nothing to do with All food sudden, do or empanadas, food, yeah. yes. <laughs> exactly. So now that you're in this food hall, mm. do you have the bug to be in other food halls? Are you like, oh, this totally works for me. I can do this. <laughs> well, we've already been talking uh, to Urban Space to go to New York because mm-hmm. we really love what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not only bringing, you know, a local food community of like just customers but the vendors the right. relationship that we have it's mm-hmm. it's crazy good then you yeah. have the control issue that's well it's always yeah <laughs> but, <laughs> send yeah. your mother to new york um no but <laughs> right? it does i i mean no but i think this but, we i just did a huge interview with a bunch of people in food halls and i just i think that the camaraderie and the ability to rely on one another and talk to right. one another especially for up-and-coming businesses which right. a lot of food halls sort of bring in you know, it's right. a great way to do R and D and things of that nature. Right. I think it's um, it's great. Yeah. So other food halls in the area, mm-hmm. I don't know, but uh, Urban Space in themselves uh, works for you. It's a different. It's a different. Okay. Story. Yeah, we love Tell it. everybody where we can find you uh, online, please, and your Instagram handle. Of course, www.empanadasdemendoza.com, mm-hmm. and then social media, obviously Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Yeah. And then uh, Urban Space. Excellent. Uh, uh, Tyson Scholar Galleria, third floor. Uh-huh. We're, we're there. We're rocking. Excellent. Okay. So I'm going to ask you to put those back over there. But everybody else, I don't know why you're not digging into them because they smell delicious. <laughs> Dig in. So, and chef, we're going we're gonna to bring Gemma back. Come on back, Gemma. Come on back. So, Gemma, I have to say, as like much as I sort of um, Ooh, look down uh, on no alcohol drinks because I don't really get it, um, this is really refreshing. Yeah. And I, I get it. 
Yeah. You it know? goes really well with alcohol, too. But uh-huh. we wanted to give an option to I, other people that aren't drinking. I wish people mm. could see this next drink. This is beautiful. Mm. What is this? Uh, oh, my God, it's so delicious. This is our Haylong Basil. It's perfect for St. Patrick's Day, which we're celebrating or this week. Any day. It is Go kind ahead. of bright green. Are there a lot of Irish people in Vietnam? <laughs> so many. I hear it's like Irish. 50%. <laughs> really? It wouldn't be from Ireland. Okay, God, lad. please don't okay. do that. <laughs> okay. No, no, not that I'm aware of. Um, this was actually put on for part of our winter menu, just kind of like a lighter, more refreshing. It's good. Man. We're doing Thai basil, coconut cream, and lime juice mm-hmm. with Hendrix as our base. So uh, good for you, but too. I mean, honestly, it's, yeah, it's so... it's healthy. It's it's basically a smoothie. But it's so <laughs> fresh. It's really delicious. Yeah. Okay, Kevin, can we quickly just talk before we get to our next guest? Can we talk about uh, the Ukraine fundraiser that you're doing? Yes. Uh, so this Monday, we're doing a dinner with uh, nine other chefs mm-hmm. uh, with wine pairings from Maidan. Um, mm-hmm. Rose, mm-hmm. and all the proceeds uh, will be donated to World Central Kitchen for their ongoing efforts in Ukraine. Uh, the dinner is sold out, mm-hmm. uh, but if you'd like to contribute to what World Central Kitchen is doing, you can mm-hmm. do it directly through World Kitchen. And if Kitchen's you don't, website. if you don't know and what they're doing, hold on. Uh, before you go into right, your thing, I because I know that's where I know I could see what's happening here. Um, but people who, uh, if you are in the industry and you want to. Uh, donate food product if you're in the uh, alcohol industry etc there's lots of ways you can participate if you don't have the cash you can donate product things of that nature to help the event be even a bigger success right yeah absolutely you know we're asking uh, for corporate sponsors Mm -hmm. uh, to kind of help lower the cost Mm -hmm. of some of the product we're bringing in Mm -hmm. and then uh, if there's any corporations out there that would love to match what we raise uh, we look forward to Seeing you guys match us. Great. Our next guest has done something incredible. Uh, Tamar um, Haspel is an award-winning, uh, James Beard award-winning, uh, mm-hmm. Washington Post columnist. She's all about food. Um, and I'm going to let you tell the whole story because you must have had some sort of epiphany that that all of a sudden— Wait, she's here to talk about her well, she, book. Well, she has a new book called To Boldly, to Boldly Grow, but, Grow. But the epiphany is what led to this memoir. I feel like the word of the memoir. day is epiphany. Well, I'm just trying to show my vocabulary. <laughs> over and over and over again? Yes, that's my okay. pith. <laughs> okay. So, Hi, Tamar. How hi. are you? What happened to Hi, you? I'm doing great. I wish we could do this in person because I want one of those empanadas. Hi. Oh, my God. Sorry, they're so all gorgeous. mine. Yeah. You wouldn't get one anyway. <sighs> Next time. Right. Uh, so let's talk. So listen, you're a very well-read writer in the Washington Post and lots of other uh, places. You're in the food section regularly. Um, but you went on a journey. And you were able to to write a book about it. It's a beautiful memoir. Can you walk us through it a little bit? You were living in New York City, and now you live in Cape Cod. What what happened to you? What happened? It was mostly an accident, to mm-hmm. be honest. My husband and I lived on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And uh, in 2007, 2008 rolled around. You know, the Internet was sort of pulling the rug out from under a writer's career. My husband is a commodity trader, and it was affecting trading in different ways. And we just decided it was time for a change. Mm-hmm. And so we we pulled up stakes and went to two acres on Cape Cod. And because I read about food, I looked around and said, okay, well, what can we do food-wise on Cape Cod that we can't do in Manhattan? Mm-hmm. And the answer was all kinds of things. Right. And so we just, we started this project where we tried to, to eat one food a day that we got firsthand, you know, grew, foraged, hunted fish. Any, as long as we got dirty in the process, it counted. Mm-hmm. 
And, but you know, it's not, not, that was not who ahead. you were. That's not, you were not a, you weren't afraid of dirt, but you were not a, put your hands no, in the, it, I feel like was, you and I were very similar, although you went off, you went off. You went, you went off way script? off. Yeah. You went off. Of, you went. Uh, You're you went, gone. You right. went way off. Like I, I was so like amazed initially. I'm like, oh, like so inspired, and then I was like, well, maybe I ain't I'm doing all, that. I'm right. only so inspired. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was always sort of an armchair, you know, kind mm-hmm. of a person, and you know, that's a fine thing for a writer to be because when I lived in New York, I was writing about things other people did, and right. I could do it from my armchair. But I married a doer mm-hmm. and you know you marry a doer I at your not. peril because you just you never know what he's going to want to do right. and and you know to be fair I knew it before I married him so I eyes wide open mm-hmm. and actually when we lived in New York uh, he wanted to put a vegetable garden in whiskey barrels on the roof and it took me a while to be convinced but Wait, I want to marry my, him now I know. <laughs> wow that was my first experience with it and you know well have you ever grown those little tomatoes, you know, mm-hmm. those sweet 100s or the, yeah. the whatever? You mean successfully? <laughs> I grew no, cucumbers so, last year and I was really impressed with myself. Yeah. Exactly. So you stand in the garden and you eat one of these things and you're like, this is the best tomato that has ever graced right. the right. planet. And and it's great. I mean, it does taste great. But what's great about it is that you did it. Right. You invested something in it. And and that was my epiphany. Right. So well, I then, love you. But I think <laughs> what's interesting is, you know, we say this to our kids all the time, like having skin in the game. And I, I mean, you took that to the next level. But it is true when it comes to how we eat and our food that as Americans, especially, a lot of us don't have any skin in the game. We go to the grocery store. I mean, even going to the farmer's market makes us all feel better about ourselves. But Really knowing where your food comes from, growing it, participating in it, changes everything well, you, about your she eating. Came up, you came up with a new phrase, first-hand food, which I think is great. Well, it was it was weird to me because we were doing all these different things. We were gardening, we were fishing, we were hunting. And I've talked to a lot of gardeners, fishermen, hunters, and I always ask them the same thing. You know, does that food feel different? Mm-hmm. And they all say yes. So, like, these are vastly different activities, but they're connected by this feeling that you get when you feed yourself and your family something that you're invested in. Had you ever hunted and, before? That's the question. I mean, are you doing? Th- were you doing things that you had never done? Oh, I hadn't done any of them, and you know, except for the, the rooftop garden. In, except, except for the rooftop garden in Manhattan, I had zero experience doing any of this. But, but well, my ahead. question. I'm sorry. My question is: Is how did you go from like growing your own tomatoes to, you know, what was the progression? How did you slowly take these new steps on? And was there ever anything that your husband said or that you brought up that you were both like, okay, that's a step too far? I mean, how did you? How did your progression go? How did you lay it out? Well, it was a slippery slope because <laughs> you you start with something that's pretty straightforward, you know, a vegetable garden. Right. And you get that feeling and you look around and you say, okay, well, what what can I do next? And for us, the next thing was building a chicken coop and having laying hens, which is, you know, a, a, a new step of complexity. You actually have to build something. You have to take care of animals. Um, but it's not rocket science. I mean, people have been having chickens basically since chickens were domesticated. Right. And, you know, 200 years ago, any eight-year-old knew how to take care of chickens. And, and then so once you do that, each one 
builds confidence and competence um, and enthusiasm, and and it prepares you for the next one. And tomorrow, and hold that's... on, I'm going to put a pin in you right there for one okay. second. We have to take a quick break, and uh, and then we'll come right back to you. This is David and Nikki Nellis of Foodie and the Beast. If you haven't read To Boldly Grow, you're missing out. But we're going to find out more when we come back. We're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We are talking. <laughs> this is a fascinating conversation mm-hmm. with Tamar Haspel. I want to know because for me, the big leap would be. I'm, you know, from growing my own stuff and foraging to hunting and killing something. He's very focused I, on the killing, well, in case you, you know, haven't we're, noticed. Well, you know, we're, you know, I mean, we, we certainly are carnivores, mm-hmm. but, and, you know, and, and you know, we fish, we, we eat everything, but the, I'm, I'm, I'm a cheese ball. I let somebody else do my killing for me. Was that the biggest step? Yeah, because I, I was a, Cheese ball too. I, I mean, I had a lifetime of being on Team Gazelle when you watch Wild Kingdom, yeah. and so the idea run, that run, <laughs> run, right, exactly, faster. <laughs> What's the matter for you? You can't run. <laughs> the idea that I would kill an animal that I was eating was going to eat um, was kind of far from my consciousness. Mm-hmm. But again, it's this slippery slope thing. After we did chickens um we decided we'd graduate to turkeys which of course you kill and that first harvest of turkeys you know the sunday before thanksgiving um doing research on how to do it best and then actually going and cutting a turkey's throat was a very difficult thing it sounds but here's the thing if if you're if you're as i am middle-aged and i've basically had desk jobs my whole life mm-hmm. you know very little is asked of me in the physical department and the best thing about this whole project was spending all this time on the steep part of the learning curve mm-hmm. and acquiring new skills as you know I'm at the age where let's face it our powers are declining and that was that was what was so compelling. You know, I went in it. I thought it was about the food, mm-hmm. but it turned out to be what it did for me and Kevin, my husband, and how it connected us to our communities. And like people think of getting your own food, either it's this, you know, crunchy granola, Birkenstock, you know, uh, opt out of society kind of thing, or it's, you know, prepper or hedge against Armageddon. And, you know, I live in a total Birkenstock free zone and come Armageddon, I'm going down with the ship. This is it doesn't have to be a lifestyle. It's just a thing that you can do that can start with like an herb garden on your windowsill and see if it speaks to you. Mm -hmm. And and it keeps you learning and it keeps you outside. You get exercise. There's like there's no downside. It turned out to be way more compelling than I ever thought it was going to be. And moving forward. As this is a part of your life now, are there new frontiers for you to conquer? Well, it, a lot of these things have, uh, you know, it takes a lifetime to master them. Sure. And it, even then, and, you know, we've gotten a whole lot better at fishing since we've been here, but we still know people who are way better than we are. Now, is this, from, so, is this from the shoreline or out on a boat? No, we, we have a boat. It was one of the things that, uh, that it was almost 
like non-negotiable. My husband grew up fishing. And when we moved to a place where there was world-class fish, yeah. we, and the, the story of our first boat is in the book, actually. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I was a little reluctant, but he talked me into it. And that's sort of a running theme of me being a real it Sort of sounds reluctant. like Davy Crockett. Actually. <laughs> he's, he's, we call him, we call him O'Giver because he's, <laughs> he's Irish. Give me and, some chewing gum and a, a, a needle and I'll make a boat. Yeah. Right. Right. All right, David, I have to tell you the time we were out in the boat and uh, and we had a problem with the fuel filter and it got clogged. And so then you can't run the motor. And Kevin actually took a ballpoint pen from our local bank, Cape Cod 5, and he put the two ends of the fuel line on either side of it with zip ties to bypass the fuel filter. And we got home that way. I, I <laughs> so, would yeah, have suggested exactly the, kind exactly of thing the same thing. I just want to say that if that happened to us, we'd still be out there. <laughs> that would be I just had another epiphany. I'm going to die. Right? <laughs> so no. There have been moments like that, let me tell you. Well, Okay. I want to stay with the hunting. You have two acres on Cape Cod. Are you hunting on your land or are you? No, yeah, no. I mean, in fact, we're not even hunting on Cape Cod because one neighbor. of the things we discovered is like there's 20,000 hunters and seven deer. And the ones who have been doing it their whole lives, they're they're going to find them. Right. And so <laughs> it actually to took us. There's a lot of deer. Well, it took us several years to get a deer. And the way we finally ended up doing it is because we have a friend in Virginia, which is like crawling with deer and you could practically shoot at random and get a deer. I mean, they're just they're they're like people on the street in our neighborhood. I mean, exactly. We love them, but a lot of our neighbors do not love them. (laughs) And, you know, I didn't really want to do it. But mm-hmm. I decided that the most responsible way to eat meat is to take an overpopulated animal that's doing damage out of the ecosystem. And the only reason I didn't want to do it is because I'm a sniveling weenie. And I didn't want to be a sniveling weenie. I wanted to weenie? step up and it's, do it. And, well, but, but then you you had to learn how to shoot a deer rifle, how to hold it and shoot because they kick. I I had to do all of that. Wow. I, I had to first I had to learn to have guns in the house because when we first moved into New York, Kevin had. Kevin had uh, skeet guns, and and I didn't even want those in the house. It's a, a, you know, I think if you grow up with a certain mentality, you know, you grow up in certain areas, city areas, you know, you just, you don't think that way. See, I I I wanted pump-action shotgun for skeet shooting, and Nikki said no guns. No, that's not what happened, but I did say It makes that noise, you know, the pump-action shotgun. Oh, and so I did. I learned how to do all these things. But the fact that it was hard was what made it satisfying. And if you ask me about a skill that I'm proud of, I mean, I've been working for 25 years to be a better writer. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing I'm proud of is that I can shoot field dress and break down a deer, which, you know, again, 200 years ago, any eight year old could do it. And I mean, you keep um, saying that as if like <laughs> what you're, you're like, you're taking down what you did. What you're doing is amazing. You set a goal for yourself and you did it. And just because an eight-year-old could have done it 200 years ago, let me tell you, there's not a lot of eight-year-olds doing it today. So it is a win. You're exactly right. And and that's like, this is, so do you remember when, I want to talk about it in another book, that the life-changing magic of tidying up came out and yes. it was this smash hit bestseller. And I'm like, what's all the fuss about? So I got the book and read it. And I said what, I read what Marie Kondo said about people who follow her method, then go on to be able to do things like ask for the promotion or get the overdue divorce or lose the weight or whatever. Right. Right. And I'm like, Huh? They're doing this because their house is neat, but that's not it. It's exactly what you just said, Mm -hmm. that 
they solved a problem that was in their purview to solve. Right. And that made them strong and strength begets strength. And this is the same oh, idea. Right. And on that note, we now Nikki's going to gonna make me landscape the backyard. Thanks a lot. Okay. Tell everybody where we can find this gorgeous book and where uh, we can find you on Instagram. To Boldly Grow is uh, available wherever books are sold. I do most of my talking on Twitter mm-hmm. at Tamar Haspel, but the illustrations uh, for To Boldly Grow and all the things we've done over the years are at Instagram at Tamar Haspel Insta. Excellent. Thank great you stuff. so much, Tamar. It was that so was great fun. having you on. Thank you. All right, Gemma, come on back up to the mic. So this was delicious, your green drink. We yeah. love it. Um, talk and it's about, so healthy for you, Dave. Talk a little bit more <laughs> I, I, about the bar program and sort of the tiki-esque cocktails. Like, are we calling them tiki-esque? That's what your publicist said. And I was like, really? That's interesting. We're not really doing tiki. Okay. Uh, fire the publicist. Yeah, no, don't Julia and I are Holly. She's great. <laughs> so our other, our other full-time bartender and I are both fully capable of doing tiki. Mm-hmm. We love doing it. Okay. Uh, but it's not really what we're building the bar program to. Okay, so tell us what it is. Modern cocktails that aren't taking themselves too seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and is there with- an overlap? I mean, clearly we have the Thai basil and the coconut cream in the uh, previous cocktail. Is there a lot of overlap with the kitchen? Like, are you constantly getting in there and being like, chef, get out of the way. I need X. Like, what are you doing in I, there? I have a vision of that one. <laughs> um, no, I, a lot of it is asking questions about, like, ingredients and hey can we get this ingredient in uh mm-hmm. our chef de cuisine got it in some mandarquats recently it's what it's yeah. like a hybrid between a mandarin, mandarin and a kumquat. kumquat oh and they're like super bright Sounds like a blind date to me <laughs> they're awesome but like you but know what's their what's their texture they're like tiny little lemons and we're not talking about the texture so much it's more like we're juicing them and kind okay. of segmenting them that way um All right. but we're, we're talking with our chefs constantly because we share a prep space. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of techniques. It's a lot of ingredients. Oh, no, no, no. We don't have time I'm for that. Kidding. No, no, no. Um, what are you pouring next? Um, so currently we've got the Full Bloom, which is going to be our contribution to the Cherry Blossom Festival. Okay, great. We're going to be using uh, Japanese whiskey. Currently it's Toki. Mm-hmm. Um, a house-made hibiscus cordial. Ooh, that's good. A great. little bit of amaretto and some yuzu. Ooh, okay, great. So right. I know Amy Troutmiller for Ever and a Day. Yeah, but I was thinking been... about it today. I think it was 13 years ago I did the first When you show were in, with you guys. in middle mm-hmm. school, the two of you. Yes. Of course. Uh, yes, we were. Yeah. But so you've, you're out of the industry, but you're in the industry. When I knew you before, you were in the restaurant. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could never fully leave it, right? Right. Right. So, we can. We're all yeah, stuck. Yeah. Right. So tell us about your journey and where you are now. Sure. Um, so, yes, I spent, I would say, the first half of my career, um, about 15, 16 years in restaurant operations. Mm-hmm. Um, I then kind of had that moment, Dave's, David's word of the day, the epiphany, um, where I said, you know, I, I can't do this forever. I love my career, but it's all I have. Right. And um, I then transitioned into important wholesale. So mm-hmm. I could still work in the beverage community um, and spent 10 years doing um, executive work in important wholesale. Mm-hmm. And the pandemic, you know, caused uh, Upended that. everyone to use do the over overused word pivot. Mm-hmm. And um, I like had swivel. Swivel. I had to I swivel. swivel. Yes. And so um, just under I two years ago, I do. Swivel. I guess it was it's like my year, exercise. year and a half, almost two years ago. Um, I said, OK, now now's the time for me to leverage my institutional knowledge and my experience. And, you know, no better time than now to start my own business. 
So um, I started Common Fuel Consulting, mm-hmm. and I work with clients all under um, the food and bre- beverage umbrella mm-hmm. uh, and help with business development and uh, right. a lot of I'm going to take you right to boxed wine. Yes. So, oh, wait. You need to oh, talk into the mic. It's I, like I'm dealing with an amateur. Okay. Or, or a child. Yes. <laughs> I know you are, but what am I? Mm-hmm. So this stuff is actually called really good boxed wine. That is the name, <clears throat> the brand. It is the promise. And well, um this is the big it is, test. It is the truth, yes. Well, so let's dun, dun, talk dun. about boxed wine because, yes. you know, over the last 10, 20 years, there's been a lot of change in the wine industry um, with, uh, and, you know, especially like corked wines. We have screw screw caps now. Yes. And boxed wine and, and canned wines, like mm-hmm. all these new ways of sort of holding wine, many of which make more sense. Correct. Than putting it in a bottle with a cork, which doesn't, I mean, the the sunlight can get it. Well, I mean, there's and so unless many ways. you're going to put it in your cellar for 20 years, you don't need the bottle. Right. And most people don't have a cellar. Most we people, actually have a real cellar. I, I mean, I do too, but we're not most people, there. Nikki. Right. No, we like, you know, it's we, just a crappy cellar. It's just where real... you sleep, right? <laughs> when I'm bad. Upside down. Yes. No, alternative packaging as a whole um, has come a long way. Obviously, you know, 10, 15 years ago, people scoffed at the idea of a screw cap, and now it's fully embraced. Um, we have a global glass shortage right now. So right. there really is a no better time to start putting better wine in box. So, but what, in order to keep the wine mm-hmm. at a good place, what has to happen for it to go in the bag in the box? Sure. Well, one thing that's very different about really good box wine is mm-hmm. that there's always a varietal, uh, always a vintage and a region. If you look at any other box wine on the market, you're it's not going to see those three, those three things. Right. So you're getting to learn about where the wine comes from, and we're mm-hmm. sourcing directly from incredible winemakers in some we of the best regions of the world. We need to say again, this wine is actually called really good boxed wine. Okay, so on that, hold really on. Good. We're going to take yes. a quick break. This okay. is David and Nikki Nellis. It's Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a sec. All right, we are back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis talking to Amy Troutmiller about a really good boxed wine called really good boxed wine. And so, it is really good. I'd so, like to wrap some pasta around this bad boy. Okay, so let me ask yeah. you a question. So you said that most box wine does not tell you anything about the wine. It's just like mixtures, whatever. So what's the background on this wine and this company, and how are they sourcing the wines that they're putting in the really good box? Sure. Um, the company was started under a year ago mm-hmm. um, by a man named Jake Whitman, who is just absolutely fantastic. He has a consumer products background, but it literally was born from a need, which most great ideas are, right? Mm-hmm. He was sitting around with his friends, and you know, after having to recycle several bottles, it was like there has to be a better box wine because this would be great if we could have that for our party. Well, and actually, last week's show, we had a recycling expert on the show, and everybody thinks glass is the easiest to recycle, and it can be, but it depends on where you live. So, like in Montgomery right. County, they don't recycle glass. Which is- yeah, and honestly, you know, the so this environmentally fifty percent less carbon footprint mm-hmm. to produce, and it creates eighty percent less landfill waste. Wow! And it's equivalent to four bottles in one compact I mean, package. The, the package is compostable, so yeah, absolutely. Okay, so. How did they source the wine? Let's talk about that. Sure. I think that's that's really actually important. one of my roles with the business mm-hmm. is that, um, you know, leveraging years long relationships with winemakers. Um, and the truth is, is that most people produce more wine than they bottle themselves. Mm-hmm. And so with those relationships, being able to reach out and say, look, we would really like to work with you with your wine. We know you, you produce beautiful things. Can we have 
couple thousand gallons of, of what you're, you know, wrapping up for this vintage. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, th- but that's really how But do they really not want their name? Do so they want, do they we want have, their name associated so with So right it? now, right now, it's a it's about 80% um, that they're not jumping to attach their name to it, mostly because we are passing the savings on to the customer. So this wine in particular, we can talk to you about the vineyard, you know, where it comes from, but they're selling what's in this box for 45 right. to $50 I mean, a bottle. What, We're selling an entire box for $65. I mean, wow. it's basically so, odd white labeling. That's correct. What it is. It's we smart. do have a really exciting project coming up this summer where we are basically co-branding with a well-known, beautiful producer in Napa Valley. And so there are people who want to be associated, and then mm-hmm. there's others who need to protect, protect their own brand integrity and, and price point. So how many different varietals do you have now? Well, I'll tell you a little secret. Okay. If you go online right now, you will see our single vineyard Russian River Valley Rosé. It actually has not just been ask about Yes, rose. it actually has not been put out into the public yet because uh-huh. it, we just sent an email out to the wait list and are letting people who have been waiting for that to be released kind of get first dibs. Uh-huh. But anybody can go to reallygoodboxwine.com. Is, is it in a Provencal style? Tell us a little it bit is. about the rosé. So, yep, um, so, I'm asking so for a I friend. guess to revert back, right now there are two varietals, the Cabernet and the rosé available uh-huh. to purchase in about three weeks there will also be a Sauvignon Blanc ready to purchase mm-hmm. and the the flow of releases um, and new varietals can range between sort of one and three months for the next one to come out um, the, but everything is California based at the uh, moment. right now right yes now. we are sourcing internationally and we are um, sourcing in other great wine growing regions of the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, the Pinot Noir Rosé only two hours of skin contact two and a half hours of skin contact so really nice blush light pink mm-hmm. um, it's made from a women owned and run vineyard mm-hmm. um, Ketchum Estate uh, is where we source the Pinot from and we actually have a female winemaker as well so oh, um, it was uh, custom made just for us and um, really just beautiful light it's that sort of perfect everyday rosé mm-hmm. and um, we're excited to to put it out so I got a question Okay, you can ask your question, but you need to be closer to the mic. I have a question. Excellent. So yes, here's my David. question. When you buy a bottle of wine, mm-hmm. there's very little at the top, you know, below the cork, very little room. So when it's shipped, it's really not sloshing around. How do you protect this when it's, you know, delivered? Yeah. So so this is a food-grade bag inside the box, um, and it is filled fully to the top. To the, um, the other thing is, too, is that it is completely protected from any oxygen. Right. Um, also, after you open it, it remains that way. Well, so that's if you're somebody, say, so yeah, if you're somebody who wants a glass with dinner, you can have it. You can have because it for is, six weeks, every, so, a glass every night. So what I love about the concept, and I, I, it, I can't believe it's taken so long for it to catch on, is that if you open up a bottle of wine and you just want a glass, yeah, three yep, days later, you know, three days later, you're, I mean, you can drink it, but it's not, it's not peak, but. This does not allow the oxygen. Yeah, it's good for six weeks after you open it. That is amazing. So I say it's good for two different sets of people. One are the people who might be in a couple where only one drinks or might just want one glass and they're tired of dumping excess bottles, bottles down the drain. Yeah. Um, it's great for you. You can It'll last a long time for you. And then the other side is people like mostly me, you know, some of our friends, right, Nikki, um, that would like to have wine on tap in their mm-hmm. house. And, and <laughs> this works for them, the, too. Sort of the, the faux snobbery of Absolutely. But you know, you bring up a really good point. You know, about 10 years ago, it became really sexy for restaurants to have uh, a Corvin. uh, You know, no, not even the Corvin. On tap, wine on tap, right? Like Prosecco on tap or a wine on tap and cocktails on tap. Like Mm -hmm. that became a thing. And now this makes so much sense. So, all right. We have to wrap up. Yeah. I'm, we, I could go down a total rabbit hole with you on this. Tell everybody, please, where we can find this. Then we'd this. have to kill the yes. rabbit. 
No, only if Tamar was in studio. Uh, tell everybody, please, where we can find the product, where we can find you and your consulting. Absolutely. Please. Um, so Really Good Box Wine is reallygoodboxwine.com. Mm-hmm. You can do one-off purchases or join a monthly subscription. Um, and also Really Good Box Wine on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, I am at Vino, V-I-N-O, on Instagram. And um, at Common Fuel is the business on Instagram. And www.commonfuelconsulting.com. Great. I cannot wait to try well, the rosé. crisp and to the point. And I have to be honest, it's hard to believe looking at that, that that's four bottles. Looks tiny. Doesn't look like it would hold four bottles, but it does. It's it amazing. Why half the price to oh. ship too? Oh. You're getting... When you say tiny, it looks tiny. It's little. Okay, Gemma, come on, let's wrap up our party. It was so, a party. It is. A Kevin party. and Gemma, come back up to the mic. Gemma, what'd you pour us next? So this is actually a Kevin cocktail. A Kevin cocktail. Kevin cocktail. Oh yeah, uh, Kevin inspired. I didn't make it, but. <laughs> This is called our coffee call. We use a New Orleans-style uh, code brew coffee with uh, chicory flavors. And on the bottom, some condensed milk, a little bit of vodka. This That's is like dessert. Good. Oh, yeah. Coffee liqueur. So coffee liqueur. It's coffee liqueur that makes it sweet. So if you want dessert, but you also want to party the rest of the night, this is the way to go. <laughs> so this is your take, Gemma, on like the espresso martini. Yeah. This is our response to it. This is your response and to I'm it. And I'm sure it's we think it's better. too, right? It's super local. Oh, yeah, so if you want Vietnamese coffee, <laughs> hey, well, that's what I was thinking. I love Vietnamese coffee, um, and this is such an incredible take on it. Yeah. It's really perfect. Also, speaking of cocktails on draft, we actually just put this one on draft, and like it just works Goes so well. So you well. put this one on draft. Mm-hmm. Interesting. It works so well. Why did you put this one on draft? Uh, it's one of our more popular ones. Uh, a lot of our service team understands that when people are coming in asking for espresso martinis, that what they really just want is vodka and coffee yeah. right and this is a way better combination Knock me out and keep me awake <laughs> this also goes better with our food anyway back to vietnamese coffee because that that's not a phrase that i'm familiar Do, is coffee grown in vietnam and yeah. Is sp- yeah so vietnam is actually the mm. second largest like coffee producer in the world uh, and a lot of people don't know that there's like a big Seriously. surge in like uh, vietnamese coffee right now right but when you order a vietnamese coffee it is served Sweetened with milk, right? Yeah, with a little bit yeah. of condensed yeah. milk. Uh, yeah. That's because we roast our beans like very dark. Dark. So uh, there's normally like a more like bitter flavor. So the yeah, condensed milk like will mm. go against that. No, I I, um, I remember the very first time I had one. They're delicious. I also stayed up for three days. All right. Can <laughs> I, we have to do this before we go because there are people out there that have been waiting for the whole show to hear the answer to this. What is a moon rabbit? Uh, moon rabbit is just a Vietnamese folklore uh, about a rabbit that got to live on the moon uh, because mm-hmm. of its like virtuous uh, spirit. Aww, so. like Plus, that. it's the only place it would be safe from Tamar Haspel. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you better be on the you moon. You ain't coming up here, Tamar. Okay. Uh, so, both of you, please tell us, uh, Jumbo, where we can find you and your amazing bar program at Moon Rabbit. Uh, tell us where we can find you on Instagram, please. Uh, at Gemma Ranha, G E M M A R A N J A. Excellent. And uh, where can we find Moon Rabbit on Instagram? Uh, just Moon Rabbit DC. Okay, and Clever. I'm just going to give a little shout out to Hot Lola's because that is another thing that you do. Where can we find all the info on Hot Lola's? Uh, you can go to uh, hotlolas.com uh-huh. or uh, our Instagram, just Hot Lola's. We are Excellent. opening a second one in Roslyn. Cannot wait. And uh, Everybody hates Kensington. I know. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so can I wrap up the show? Do you have anything to say? Yeah, just give when you when you're thinking about all the things you want to buy buy one thing less and give to the Ukrainian people because they need it 
and that SOB Putin needs to go down. Okay, great. That's all right. what I thank you, honey. All right, so we want to thank all of you for joining us today. We had such an amazing show with terrific guests, and there's always so much you can sort of learn and then live on after you listen to Foodie and the Beast. So we want to thank all of our guests for joining us today. We want to thank you for listening to us today. Please follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Of course, you want to go to the com, the online e-zine that tells you everything happening in the D.C. metro area. Check out Industry Night on Tuesdays on Real Fun DC when I take a deeper dive on some of the things you heard here today. And listen, I think the pandemic is over, but right now you don't have to wear masks. You uh, don't have to show your you stuff. Just jinxed Stop. It. You don't have to wear masks. You don't have to show your vaccination card, but you still do need to take your kindness pill. There are staffing shortages out there. There is still problems out there for the restaurant industry. So go out, dine, spend your money, but be kind and have a delicious week.